Hello, welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for tonight's incredibly special episode of TCCP is none other than the man, the myth, the legend himself, Warwickshire and former Gloucestershire seam sensation, Liam Norwell. So Liam, first things first, mate, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast tonight. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I have to ask, mate, how has your day been so far? Yeah, it's been pretty good, thanks. Um, pretty chill morning. Uh, one of the boys went to nursery. We have a little one here with the wife and then played golf with Adam Hose, Ollie Stone, Al Davis, Craig Miles. So it's quite a nice afternoon. Yeah, sounds it. And of course, a big day for Milo as well on the day that yeah. we're recording this, the 27th of October. Brand new contract extension. So was he a little bit chirpier today? No, um, he didn't actually tell any of us. It, we, we were about to tee off, we looked at our phones and saw it, and we all said, oh, what's happened here? And he just said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've signed that. And then he, him and Al, were, Al Davis were in one group, and me, Stoney, and Hosey were in the other group, so I didn't actually see him for us, Brad. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, to be honest. I thought the boys would have known no. about that. No, um, didn't have a clue. Um, normally, the message will go on the group, but I think just with the director of cricket, Farby leaving, and bits and pieces, I think there's a bit... I think just maybe a bit of breakdown in communication here or there, but it's a great news for Craig and great news for the Bears that he's going to be around for a few more years. It is indeed, yes. Craig Miles locked in until the end of the 2025 season. That's what we want to hear as Bears fans. And if you are listening, Milo, congratulations. Thoroughly deserved, to say the very least. But Liam, before we jump the gun and we get on to the Warwickshire chats, which, as you can imagine, listeners, will take up a large chunk of tonight's episode... We have to start right at the beginning of your cricketing journey. So, Liam, what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this sensational uh, game? So, what it'd be watching? I'd, it's my dad playing for a team in Bournemouth. So, I was born in Bournemouth, where I was raised m- mainly in um, Cornwall. So, it's I can't, I can't, I think it's Queens. He played in a place called Queens Park in Bournemouth, and my earliest memories of seeing photos of it is playing in a evening league final, and I stole the trophy. And there's um, a photo of me sitting on the balcony with the trophy. Um, well, the game's still going on, and I think I just decided I was going to look after it. I think I was three or four, and I just decided I was looking after the trophy till someone won it. Um, so they're my earliest memories through photos and stuff. But I do remember going to the games, um, having like a little plastic baton ball, and uh, dad's dad would come down as well, and I'd just be there watching him with my mum, my sister, and my granddad sometimes, and grandma. So they're my earliest proper memories but then of me actually playing my first taste of cricket was cricket at school the blue bats and the stumps and that's kind of what got me into it I played a little bit at Plymouth Cricket Club so we lived in Plymouth for about 18 months so dad had a season there so I played a little bit there um for the under 11 B team as well as a wicketkeeper and then yeah I know I wasn't very interesting I wasn't very good at anything so I was the biggest in the team so I kind of put behind the stumps just to stop the ball and then when I moved to Cornwall is when I started bowling. Uh, at, well, we moved when I was year five at school, so what's that, about 10. So and that's where I started playing cricket a bit and it started to develop and I started to bowl uh, when I joined Redruth Cricket Club. That's a lovely journey into the game, though, I must say. So very family-orientated, yeah. very community-driven as well. Yeah, given so the... As long as I can remember, I always watch my dad play on Saturday and sometimes in the evenings. Uh Left arm spinner who and a left arm left handed slogger at the bottom of the order. Um, occasionally promoted as a pinch hitter, he would like to say, um, as a batsman, but it wasn't. 
Uh, and he, he did very well for himself. Uh, he took a lot of wickets. He's still playing. He's, what is he now? He's 53, still playing. Co he now lives in Basingstoke, so he coaches the under-11s at Basingstoke and plays a mix of anywhere from thirds to fifths. And he loves it. So my my love for cricket came from my dad and just watching him week in, week out. Well, that is lovely, Liam. And what is your dad's name? Just for the listeners oh, out there. Rob. Rob. Shout out to Rob, because without Rob's influence, Warwickshire would have a couple less trophies in that cabinet. So big up to yourself, Rob. I hope you're listening to today's episode. But aside from family influences, I suppose, Liam, who in the world of professional cricket, either in county cricket or indeed international cricket beyond that, did you look up to in those early days? Did you have any role models, any influences, any icons per se that you tried to shape when your game young, around? Yeah. So when I was young... Um... Not really. It was all club cricket watching those guys. So it was actually an overseas at Reggie Cricket Club called David Simpson. Um, we call him OJ, who I idolised for a few years. He's from New Zealand, from uh, Taranaki. And um, he was an all-rounder. But, and he never played professional cricket, but I, he was my first, like, wow, you're very good at cricket kind of person, if you get what I mean. And then 2005 Ashes, like a lot of my generation, is when it really started to love cricket and I think like the majority again the majority of my generation is Andrew Flintoff. The way he changed that series, how he got everybody into cricket, his um personality and charisma on the pitch and his performances to go with it. I mean who wouldn't want to bowl 90 mile an hour hit sixes and the whole country love you. Yeah, you were some all rounder, wasn't he, Freddie? Yeah, just a bit. Yeah, not too bad at all. Mm. And you mentioned the two thousand five Ashes. We're 200 episodes in, by the way, listeners. This is the milestone episode. That is why Liam is our special guest tonight. We had to bring out the big guns, the heavy artillery for this milestone. But we always seem to bring up the 2005 Ashes. I'm thinking we should rebrand. Yeah. Instead of being the County <laughs> Cricket Podcast, 2005 Ashes Podcast, we talk about it every single episode. And Liam, the follow-up question, which I always ask the guests who bring it up, if you could go back in time, and just relive one day, just one single day from that immortal series, which day would you relive and why? It would be the last day of the Oval, so the last day of the series, because we were in PE, and our PE session went from one block to the entire afternoon, and everybody sat inside watching it. So it was lovely. We had uh, Mr Stern, who now actually lives in Australia, funnily enough. So Matt, a guy from Matt Stern, he loved his cricket. Craig Bond's another one of the um, teachers. I'm pretty sure he was there, but I know it's definitely Mr. Stern. And our PE lesson just turned on to Channel 4 on the TV and everyone's sitting in the classroom with one of those TVs that wheeled in. And um, yeah, it was lovely. <laughs> Lucky for some, eh? Goodness yeah. me. That's a lovely memory. And obviously that series, it did kickstart a lot of careers. Uh, I think that's blatantly obvious to see. Mm. As I said, it comes up so often on the podcast. And I think it's just the generation of this cricket, this or a lot of the people you interview, and it's our generation. It's mm. when we were all those impressionable ages of 10 to 15, 16. Most um, established cricketers now are would have been in that kind of generation, you know? So I think it's... I'm pretty surprised there's many county cricketers of my age who weren't inspired by that series. Yeah, and to be honest, I think the, the proof is in the pudding. As I said, it comes up pretty much every single yeah. episode. It really does, but what a series, and to be honest, any excuse to talk about it, an iconic mm. series, immortal when it comes to Ashes history, and yeah, fingers crossed 2023 lives up to that series, who knows, again, yes. another yeah. iconic test at Edgebaston wouldn't go miss, would it? Oh, it'd be lovely, um, and I think 
just next year's Ashes, I think, is very evenly poised at the moment. You've got an Aussie team who haven't won over here for a long time. Obviously, Drew Blast series retained, but they haven't won over here for a long time now. And an England team who are hopefully going to have the likes of Archer, Stone, Robinson, Broad, Anderson, Overton, Mahmood. list goes on. Fisher. Ah, uh, well, I'm not in that bracket, but you know that's the that that they are the bowlers who are in the like the framework of England at the moment, you know, and they and well, oh, how can I forget Wokesy? But anyway, but Wokesy, <laughs> uh, I really should have forgotten Wokesy there. But that is the lot of bowlers that England have at the moment. The sheer pace, the quality. I mean, any overseas team coming, it's frightful for them. If if those bowlers can stay fit and put a whole series together. That's the key, isn't it? It's the fitness, because we're having this exact same conversation before the last Ashes in Australia, <laughs> and then as the months kind of yeah. ticked by, bowler after bowler after bowler went down. But fingers crossed, fingers crossed, because if they are fit, yeah. we've got a really good chance. And as you said, a very proud record. We haven't lost the home Ashes since 2001. In my lifetime, we have not lost a home series. So fingers crossed, England, we can keep that record intact heading into 2023 and hopefully many years beyond as well. The less Ashes losses to the Aussies, the better, yeah. says this particular England fan. But Liam, going back to your cricketing journey, you've spoken there beforehand about originally being a wicketkeeper and then you transitioned into being a seam bowler as you went to Cornwall. In terms of, of seam bowling as an art form, I always ask this to seam bowlers, what is your favourite aspect of seam bowling what is it about that art form which keeps bringing you back time and time and time again i'm not sure if i'm being honest because it hurts a lot um i think it's for so i, I a few years ago I did a podcast alongside uh Oyan and dolby and we both kind of said the same thing that the best thing about almost bowling is day four when you just bowl a team to victory or any form of cricket when you bowl second you bowl a team to victory but day four especially if like it's the last session or it's those feelings where you've put all that graft in and it's worked and it's come off. Um, like there, that's what I love about cricket. Like those feelings um, when you've put all the hard work in. Like yeah, it's lovely to blow a middle stump out and it go cartwheeling. Lovely to bowl for perfect away swinger, which nicks some off. But it's those though the memories I always remember and I always when I'm so I visualise like my cricket when I'm visualizing, when I'm going back to memories and stuff, it's always, nearly always like when you've just won a game bowling a team out, they're the ones I always go back to because they're the ones that I feel, hey, get me gut, get me, really get me up and get me going for the game. But they just give me the most satisfaction because like I said, it's the hard work that you put in to win those games. 100% and we'll discuss a couple of those day fours. Mm -hmm. As the podcasters progress into our conversation about Warwickshire, because let's just say there's been a couple of memorable ones in the past couple of seasons that's at differing ends of the county championship table. But in terms of, of your cricket career then, I'd like to know this, Liam, because I've read various interviews, I've listened to that podcast yeah. actually, that was with the Warwickshire Cricket Board, wasn't yes. it? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, you also went on the Whitefoot Cricket Show, which is Cornwall's Cricket Podcast. Oh yeah, with um, a guy called Taylor Williams, who's actually my Cornwall Age Group captain. Um, exactly. We, yeah. we do our research here on the podcast, <laughs> as you can tell. But um, I've seen this this pattern appear when it comes to your cricketing journey, and that was the summer of 2009. This seems to crop up time and time again in terms of you taking cricket really seriously. So what was it about that summer which turned cricket from a hobby 
into a potential career for you personally? Um, a lot of luck, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I was, I was enjoying my cricket. It was about a year before, maybe eighteen months before, a guy called Peter Bolland had moved from Newquay Cricket Club to Redruth Cricket Club, and kind of said, "Like, give me a year or two to work with you. I, I can make you something." He was the West of England coach for that age group for the under 15s. So he had actually gone through the likes of Josh Butler, um, people that have been in his um, under 15 age group. So he knows what he's talking about. And um, I'd known about him for years. He was actually a maths teacher at my school, but didn't get involved in cricket at school. He was ahead of the year in that and a maths teacher, but he didn't get involved in cricket because that's his outside of school thing. And he basically said to me, I, I think you've got something I can work with you. So he came to, I, I committed to stay at Red Roof. Started playing a bit of first team, more regular first team cricket at that stage um, under his guidance. And it was pretty much about 18 months of hard work of him got me to a good place. I was, I was asked to play Cornwall 17s in a two-day game against uh, Wiltshire away. And I, I, I'm not about it whether I wanted to. I had Colts rugby training that week. I was, I was At the time, I was working in card factory. Uh, my mum was a manager. She gave me a job. Um and I undenied, undenied, and I went for it in the end. And I actually played against Craig Miles, who was playing two years up. I got Pfeiffer. Bowled, I, I can't remember how I bowled, but I got Pfeiffer. It was, I think it was my first ever county Pfeiffer. I've been in out the age groups kind of growing up. And um, kind of went, there's been someone there watching, um, I believe, like from Gloucestershire, not a first team Gloucestershire, but a. Um, like an academy scout. He was actually, I think, there to, to watch Milo because he was already on the academy to just keep tabs on him, make sure he's going all right. And then went, so I got back to Cornwall and Peter Bolland just sent me a message, right, we can work at this. And he, I said, well, there's someone from Gloucestershire there. He contacted Gloucestershire. So this would have been for Wednesday, Thursday. Because um, like I said, he's Western England coach. So he had links, he had contacts. He's actually from Warwickshire and coached in Warwickshire. That's where he grew up. So if he had made a different link, I could have ended up at Warwickshire a lot earlier. But um, he went with the Gloucestershire link. So that would be Wednesday, Thursday. The Sunday I had, so this is like June-ish, 2009. The Sunday I had a trial game against Lansdowne Cricket Club for Gloucestershire Academy. The So there was the academy director, Owen Dawkins, and the fast bowling coach for the first team, Steve Stuart Barnes. And firstly, they threw me in at number three to see what I was made of and see if I'd rise to the challenge. I think I got a four-ball duck. But they liked the fact that I just said, yeah, let's go for it. Um, I remember walking out to bat. Chris Dent was playing. He was on somewhere near 100. He walked out. We'd, net, we'd, we'd said hello to each other and we'd warm up. He said, can you bat? I said, no. He laughed. He said, where do you normally bat? I said, 9, 10, 11. He laughed again. He said, right, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. He said, okay, this could be fun. I sunk along those lines. And I got out three or four balls later. And then obviously... I went in a bit head down, like, what am I doing? And Owen Dawkins pretty much came straight up to me and said, I like the fact you gave it a go. Um, we put you out of your comfort zone, you gave it a go. And then, I, did, I know I didn't open the bowling, but I bowled first or second change. I only bowled five overs. I got one for maybe 10, one for 12. I thought, oh, I only bowled five overs. They obviously didn't think that much of me. But then, uh, they had the debrief at the end of the game, which I sat in, and then I was called to the side by Stuart Barnes and Owen Dawkins. And he just said, like, look, we think you've got something. The summer holiday program for the academy boys who are still in uh, score six form. So I was in between my first two, my two years of sixth form. So I've done my first year of college, so sixth form, had one more year to go. 
And he said, would you like to join us? You train Monday to Wednesday. We put you up in local uni accommodation. Uh, there's no money or anything involved, but if you'd like to come and join us, then we think you could really progress in that time. And at the end of those six weeks, I made my second team debut. It went horrendously. I think about 10 overs for 60 of my first ball went for six. Uh, I had two drop catches, but they well, really weren't proper chances, if you get what I mean. <laughs> they were yeah, sky. Yeah. It was against Middlesex. Um, I couldn't tell you who was playing for Middlesex, or I could tell some of the players playing for Gloucestershire. And again, like, I didn't bowl very well, but I batted at number 11. I batted for quite, we, we got made to follow on and we drew the game. I remember that. Um, Chris Dent and Richard Coftry got big hundreds in the second innings. But um, so you'll probably work out through this. I have a quite a good memory for games I've played in with quite a bit of detail. You'll probably work out through this. The lads in the changing rooms find it hilarious and also test me on things quite a bit. Um, and then I batted for quite a while at number 11, barely scored a run, but I dug in. And again, the same kind of message was, there's something about you. We like that you just, you didn't give it away at the batting. Here's a part-time academy place for winter, uh, winter of 2009 going to 2010. We want you to train once or twice a month with us and continue working Cornwall with Peter Bolland. And so, yeah, it was that, that was, that was kind of my summer of 2009. That's what really changed everything. I suddenly went back to Cornwall at the end of that summer going, I don't think I'm going to be a personal cricket, but I've got a chance. I, at the start of the summer, I didn't think there was ever a possibility. Now I've got a slim possibility. So after chatting with my parents, we just said, right, we're going to throw everything at it. We'll help you where we can with train fares, etc. I carried on working in card factory across that winter to help me pay my way up. I sit at sixth form, but to fair register school, the sixth form were very good with me. They pretty much gave me as much time as I needed off or as much time as I felt I needed off because everyone was of the opinion of you've got one chance to become a professional cricketer. You can retake really A-levels next year if you need to. So I was very lucky that the school backed me. Um, otherwise, it could have been very difficult. And my, my, my grades front because of it. I went from, I'm, I've never been overly academic. I think I was CCC first year of A-levels. I think I got DEE or something along those lines. But it was worth it because halfway through that winter, just after Christmas break, they said, can we put you onto a full-time academy contract? And can you, it's too much to ask you to train, travel every weekend from Cornwall, but can you at least do twice a month? And then once pre-season comes, can you be up here most of the time? Then we kind of got around to pre-season and they were like, you're going to play the first four second team games, we're going to give you a run. And then I didn't do anything spectacular, but I took a few wickets and bowled all right. And it was just more that I guess the learning off I had, Anthony Island was a massive person for me in that period. He played in all those second team games and I just standing a bit off learning from him. Um, someone who has also played international cricket, kind of played for Gloucester, Middlesex and Leicester, so new county cricket. Um, and he probably didn't realise how much he was having an effect on me, but he's someone I've always kind of said had a big effect on me. And I suddenly being in June, being offered a two-year deal. So basically from June to June, I went from playing club cricket to a two-year deal. And it was, it all happened rapidly, you know? Um, and I wouldn't be able to do it without the school being lenient, without the parents giving me the full support and without Gloucestershire helping out as well, but with like uh, accommodation, etc. cetera. But um, yeah, it went, it went rapidly. It's it's quite a quick rise. And then, yeah, then next summer, 2011, I was suddenly playing first-class cricket. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's funny how life works out to have gone, as you said, from club cricket to, to county cricket proper. 
over the course of well that would have been two years wouldn't it the summer of 2011 and we yeah so I made, I made a debut in 2011 i signed my first pro contract in june or july end of june start of july 2010 so that was a summer contract to the end of that year and then a two-year deal for 2011 2012 and in between that so end of 2010 i was sent to australia to do the down Lehman academy to get me bowling ready or first class ready they call it so when i initially signed that two-year deal john brace was head coach said we see this as a development deal i think if now you have rookie contracts i think it would have been a rookie contract in today's uh language or terminology like he basically said we don't see you playing a huge amount but this is you come on this much in a year we're excited about what we could do with you in two years and then at the end of that season, within a week of the end of the season, Steve Kirby had gone to Somerset, Jamal Hussein had gone to Somerset, Tom State had been released, Anthony Ireland had gone to Middlesex, and so somebody else had gone as well. And I can't I can't think off the top of my head who, another bowler. Um again, I can't think off the top of my head. So and they went, right, we we there's a good chance we're gonna need you ready to play first class cricket here. We've been on the phone for ECB, they had a spare space on the Darren Eamon Academy, so at that time, six people got a scholarship from counties to go to Darren Lehman. They said, you're going next week. You'll be there for six months. So that was the last week of September, and I flew out the first week of October. Again, so, that's staggering, isn't it? And yeah. I wanted to ask about this, actually, because I did see in the mm. pre-podcast prep the fact that you'd been to the yeah. Darren Lehman Academy, which obviously world-renowned in terms mm. of the players which have come through that system in South Australia. First and foremost, who were the other cricketers in that academy set up? And so, how were your experiences uh, in the academy? So the other academy is quite an unknown cricketer called Joe Root. I never heard of him. You're going to have to explain, <laughs> Liam. What, what's he done in his career? Yeah, uh, Scott Borthwick, uh, Jack Taylor from Gloucester, Lewis Hill from Leicester, um, Tom Poynton, the ex-Derby keeper who retired with yep. injuries. Um Jake Mickleborough, who played at Essex for a number of years. Yep. Um, and then we had two Scottish lads, Ali Evans, who's played quite a lot of international cricket, and a lad called Calvin Burnett, who played a little bit of international cricket. And then we also had a lad called Kevin Hodge from... Um, Dominica. Yeah, and he was there for, I think, three and a half, four months of uh, academy. And then there were a couple lads who um, were... Sorry, that's my cat. He's just come in. Um, there's been a couple of lads who um, who, pay, who you could pay for yourself to go. So there's a local lad called Angela who's there, and a lad who played for Dorset called uh, Ziggy Arshed. So we had a decent group, real decent group. Yeah, sounds like it. The England, <laughs> well, former England captain, but obviously yeah. <laughs> one of England's greatest players in Joe Root and an awful lot of county cricket as yeah, well. When you think about those guys, very, very good careers. Well, well, nearly all of them are still going. Tom Poynton would still be going if he didn't have to retire. Um, and sorry, my wife is just under the table trying to get the cat out, so I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> um, sorry, the cat's gone now. Um, and Jake McEbrough, who's a, a, a very good, very, very good county cricketer. And it was a, um, at that time, he had, I think he'd been, already been capped by Essex at quite a young age, and there was talk of him going very high in the game. And, I still think even when he got released by Essex, he was a very good player. And I don't actually know what happened with him. I know he's playing minor counties a couple of two or three years ago. I saw he's still playing minor counties, so he's still playing cricket. But he was well, he he at that time you knew Joe Root was gonna be special, but in my opinion, when I was out there, Jake was the standout cricketer. 
No, that's fair enough. And I suppose players mature at different rates yeah. as well, don't they? Well, you knew you knew Joe was going to be special when you're out there. Like everyone did. His work ethic, which I think a lot of people talk about, even at that age, his work ethic was incredible. Matt Ballsy hit. Just what he put himself through in the running and the fitness and everything. He led or everything. He led all of the groups, if you know what I mean. Um, and then people like Scott Borfick um, and Jack Taylor, who count, captain the counties in formats and Scott's played international cricket, you know, like the amount of international cricket that have come out of our, just our um, year is staggering, to be honest. It is indeed. And one experience as well, that must have been. Yeah, it was amazing, so early. Yeah. Uh, so back, back when I did, you lived with the team you're playing with. So I think it was pretty, the year after they started to all live together. So that would have been a completely different experience. So you would train Monday to Friday and then play your great cricket the weekend. If it, if you're lucky, your great cricket was just a Saturday, so you have Sunday off. If it was a Saturday, Sunday, you'd be straight back in on a Monday. So it was it was tough. Like it was great, unbelievable experience. Um, it matured me in so many ways, not just being a 18-year-old lad who was homesick from Cornwall. Um, but it matured me as a cricketer, matured me as a person. Like I became really good friends with Jack Taylor, which last well, still going. We're still good friends. We lived together for a bit when it gloss, etc. But um I wouldn't be a professional cricketer if I didn't have that winter. I think if I'd had that winter, and that's just because of it taught me what that bowling was hard, it hurts, and you've got to get on with it. Um, you're going to bowl through pains and aches. You're going to have to get up after a day of hard bowling, keep going. And they were the biggest things that taught me, like, A, how fit you have to be to be a professional cricketer, and B, you you never feel fresh as a professional bowl, oh, especially as a bowl. Any, I don't mean any, because especially because of the schedule, which I know is a lot of talk about the schedule. I don't want to lose championship games. I'm going to put that out there right now. I, Top man. I, I already get frustrated with the fact that we don't play everybody twice. So to you cut it even further, I, I'm not going to get into that because I will rant on. But <laughs> No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll <laughs> share the sentiment, to be honest, Liam. But, um, I've said it many a time. Yeah. But uh, without that winter showing me what you needed to do day in, day out to be a professional cricketer, I'm not sure a winter in Bristol that year would have actually prepped me well enough to be ready to play first-class cricket the next year. If I hadn't played first-class cricket that, those first few games, would someone else have had a go? Would I have the career? that Because that kick-started me, you know? So I don't think... I might. You never know. You just don't know how the world works. But I honestly don't think without the Darren Neiman Academy, I would be a professional cricketer still. Well, that's a glowing endorsement of that academy setup. And of course, as I said before, Randy, it is world-renowned. A lot yeah. of people know the Darren Lehman Cricket Academy. So many fantastic players have come through those ranks and... I've got to say, Liam, your recall and your memory <laughs> is unbelievable. It, it yeah. really is. I mean, I've had a load of questions in front of me here, which I wanted to ask. You've already answered them, to be honest. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. How on earth it's, do, do it's you just like that? I'm very good at stuff that I've been involved in. Something my wife told me a minute ago, I'm very good at having to ask what she's just said. And But a cricket game eight years ago, which I ran and played in, or in, sometimes not even something that I played in. So without going off on a tangent, I remember Danny Briggs winning his first year talking about, because Daryl Mitchell got 100 against us. And he's remember saying, oh, I bowled for hours against Daryl Mitchell once. I said, oh yeah, he got a double 100 against Hampshire in 2013 or 14, didn't he? He goes, how do you know that? I was like, I just don't know, I just remember. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I played in that. Yeah, that was when he batted all, all time. And it's mainly games I'm involved in, but sometimes stuff pops into my head and yeah. I strange. love it, to be honest. 
<laughs> hey, I'm not going to complain about that at all. Certified cricket badger with a capital yeah. B next <laughs> to your name, Liam Norwellens. Talking in one of those games that you were involved in. Let's talk about your debut because we've alluded to it so much already in the podcast. Yeah. We haven't actually discussed it for Gloucestershire just yet. But I'm guessing you can remember quite a lot. But what can you recall from um, that particular day for Gloucestershire? So I got told the day before I was playing and I was very, very nervous. But there was five dead five debutants, maybe six. So myself, David Payne, Ian Cobain, Will Gidman and Richard Coftry all made our debut on the same day. So it was a big... You can see how much of a reshuffle the club was going through to a have five debutants in one game um but nobody expected us to do well that year i think we finished fourth um but anyway back to the first game and it was quite surreal that first morning so like you get given your cap and i because i spent the whole winter away i i knew i knew painting a bit but i still didn't know a lot of the senior lads and i knew richard coffee a bit because we kind of been in the uni halls when we traveled together and whatnot but um i still i I met Ian Cobain for the first time when I got back from Australia, two and a half weeks before that game. So I still was quite fresh to the team, still didn't know a huge amount of people, so I was pretty nervous. Um, I still didn't even know how to give him a captain at the time. Like I knew him enough that, obviously, he's my captain, you can chat to him. And I, I ended up sitting next to him for a little bit that year in the changing room, so I got to know him a little bit then, or know, know enough that, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, and so first day, we batted all day. Um... <laughs> if my memory is right, I think we'll give a good 91. Um, and it was just contributions, contributions all the way through. Uh, and then next morning, batting, not so nervous. Uh, I, I, I was worried that I was wearing too big a chest guard and they were going to abuse me too much for it. So I took the chest guard off and borrowed David Wade's chest guard. Then I was like, no, that isn't big enough. Well, if I get hit, so I put my one back on. I was so nervous about going out to bat. And then me and Payne batted for quite a while. I only got 19, but I faced a lot of balls, and then I got run out in a stupid manner. Um, he, I thought he called two. I thought he called back for two. He didn't. I turned to go. got run out. Um, but we kind of pushed for game from a decent score. Payne got 40-odd. Um, we pushed the game from a decent score to actually well in the game. And as we went out to bowl, I don't know. It just felt like we were on top. And my first wicket... I, can, I, I know it was one of Wayne Madsen or Gary Park. I, I always get confused about which way around now because they're one and two. Mm -hmm. So, but it, it was a screamer of a catch from Will Gibbon in the gully. So my first ball, I, I remember my first ball, I was so nervous it was a bouncer. It was nearly a no ball, it was so high. I was just stiff, it stuck in my hand. And the next ball, I don't know what it was. And then the ball after was my wicket. And... Everyone was going so mad for this catch. Everyone kind of forgot it was my first wicket. I forgot it was my first wicket. Like it was an unbelievable catch. Um, and then, yeah, it went pretty well. Like I, I might be doing myself down a disservice, but we were playing with Tiflex balls that year, and they did a lot. I mean, I'm not a natural wasteman of the ball, and that day I had it hooping both ways. And I went for a few runs, but I got two wickets in my first spell, um, and then. My second spell, it started off, sorry, at the end of my first spell, I remember Chesney, I'd never played against Chesney Hughes before and he whacked me. And I remember walking on my legs thinking, wow, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. And then my set next spell, I ran through him. I got four for, I couldn't tell you, four for what? I know my overall figure is six for 40 something. Um, what you will find out, exact figures and stuff, I'm not very good with. 
No, I know roughly, but it's more with details than quite good with. But um, I remember I got Luke Sutton enough out with one that kind of bounced off back of a length. And then I, I don't remember the last. I, I, I vaguely remember the last three. My main memory is as I got my fifth, I tripped over my own feet and I face planted the ground. And um, not because I celebrated, it was literally just in my follow through. And I looked up to see whoever I think it might have been dented caught it and everyone celebrating. So I just jumped up and as soon as I jumped up, I was just mobbed. And um yeah, I got one more and then we made a follow on and I actually think about better the next day. I got one for sixty maybe, but I remember going out for food with my dad after the game and he agreed like he agreed with me that I bowled better the um second innings. Um but yeah it was an unbelievable day and then played two more games that year against Glamorgan and Middlesex and then got a stretch fracture. And that may be partly true to literally bong the whole winter, summer before the whole winter and then there. But without that, I wouldn't be playing. Like I said, I still don't think without that winter I'll be playing. So you'll take a stretch fracture and a bit of success in three games to uh, for that winter that turn me into a cricketer. You, you say a bit of success, right? <laughs> Just for the listeners out there, I have got the exact figures, right? Because I've got... Luckily, the scorecards available for tonight's episode. Six for 46 from 11 overs in the first innings. Your first wicket was Gary Park, then Wayne Madsen, then Luke Sutton, then Jonathan Clare, then former okay. Bear Tim Grunewald, and then yeah. Tony Palladino, which is sick. Okay. And then one go. for 66 from 19 in the second. And I'll tell you what, mate, Wayne Madsen, he must not <laughs> have liked facing you at all, Liam. You got him LBW in that innings as well. Fair enough. Okay. So a bit of success, just the seven wickets <laughs> on debut. And again, I'm not going to jump the gun just yet, but there does seem to be a pattern when it comes to your county debuts because your Warwickshire one was ridiculous yeah. as well. Yeah, but, someone brought that up to me last winter after my Lions debut that I seemed to enjoy a debut. Yeah. Um, and again, I hadn't again, I hadn't really, until that moment, I hadn't really thought about it. And I thought, actually, yeah, I took six for seven for and five for. So yeah, debut seemed to go okay for me. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for some, isn't it? Yeah. When you can take that many. Goodness me, I remember my debut. I took, what was it, one for, I think it was one for 50-odd. Yeah. Bowled absolutely atrociously and unfortunately haven't improved since. So that's why we're here talking about cricket instead of playing for Warwickshire. But talking of your time at Glossolium, obviously that would have been a massive highlight. Pride associated with making your county debut. Gloucestershire as well, one of the founding members of the county championship. Been playing in it all the way back since 1890 one of the originals in county cricket. So that must have been tremendously special. Oh, I wanted to touch upon another knock as well, if I may. I think I know. Well, it was one of two that you were about to bring up. I think you know which one it is, because it <laughs> three figures, right? Yeah. And it's a it's a knock which myself and my old co-host Joe, shout out to Joe, because he had the idea for this podcast. We did an entire episode on, pretty much inspired by this knock. <laughs> and that was... The century, the 102 to be exact, mm. against Derbyshire in Bristol in 2016 when you were batting as a night watchman. Yeah. Please take us through that innings, Liam, because that was something quite spectacular. Well, it's the only time I've got to three figures in my life. Never so in far. junior cricket. Never, yeah, so, so far. Never in junior cricket, never in um, uh, kids' cricket, nothing. I did get a text from a friend from home called Ben, Ben Tan, who texted me saying, it's not your first 100, though, because you did get three or four down the park when we, when we were younger. So in his eyes, I've got a few. Um, 
But yeah, uh, so I went in as Night Watchman the night before. Cameron Bancroft got out. Um, I want to say to shift back all, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, I went in and the light was getting quite dark and whatnot. And I think I probably faced maybe 10, 20 balls that evening, not a huge amount. Um, and got through with Denty. And then the next morning, <laughs> I didn't think much of it. Um, one of my best mates, Craig, he texted me saying, I want 100 from you next morning. And I just laughed at him, uh, uh, as you would. <laughs> Seeing my top scores, well, I got past 50 once at that point because I had a, the partnership with Milo at Cheltenham. Um, yeah, and uh, I had the worst net you could possibly imagine. I had a guy called Ollie Curl, who now plays for Leamington, um, who was his gloss academy at the time, bowling at me. And I couldn't tell you how many times he cleaned me up. And I walked in there. It brought back in the change room and basically I ain't going last long this morning. And um, everything went my way. I got, I think what helped me a bit was Andy Carter went real aggressive at me and gave me a bit of verbals, which is part and parcel of the game, but it got me going. And um, I remember he bumped me, I think he flicked off the helmet for four leg buys. And I can't remember what he said, but he said something. I remember just laughing. Walking down to Denny, going, Oh, he's going to help me. And then next ball was a half volley and I hit it. And he went four. And Denny just said, Keep playing like that, mate. And I kind of did. I got, I just, when I got past 50, I kind of said to Denny, I might as well give this a crack here, see what happens. And we got to lunch and I was, I was mid 80s at lunch. And I could not, it's the first time in my career I could not eat a thing. I've never been so nervous before. I did not, I didn't know what to do. I'm not, A, I'm never, I've maybe once or twice in my career at that point, I've been not out during a session. So I, I, the actual being not out with a lunch or a tea was, I didn't know what to do it myself. I, I didn't know how to take my pads off, I have to keep them on, what I'm meant to take off, what I'm meant to take my clothes, whatever, to like, take my whites off and put on my training. I didn't know what to do. I went to have lunch, I had one bite, I couldn't eat it, went back. Um, and just sat in my chair the entire lunch, just not knowing what to do. And then as we're walking out after lunch, I remember saying to Denty, oh, I'm getting there very quickly. I'm not getting there at all. I think I hit the first ball after lunch for four. And then I got within a shot of 100. And Chesney Hughes bowled me this biggest teaser you've ever seen. And I've swung so hard at it. And I, I don't know how it's missed off stump. I've missed it. It's dropped. And I, I've, I've only watched that ball back and... Um, I watched that ball back, my sixes, and the hundred ball back because I wanted to see how close it was to the stunts, and um, it was very close. And I think even Denty's reaction in it is he's almost got his hands in front of his face. And then um, there was a single or something, and I'm on strike to Ben Cotton, first ball next over, and I'm, I think I'm on 97. And Denty kind of said, like, just relax, you'll be okay, you'll be okay. And I said, is, I'm either out or is, I'm getting under it. Is this ball and he luckily I got a cut ball and I hit it. I don't think I've ever hit a cricket ball so hard. And whoever was that point, it was very close to him, but he just didn't move, luckily. And it flew fast. And I had my hand off before he didn't got to the boundary. And I don't know, I remember Denty just like running down to me, and then he just kept saying to me, Enjoy it. You're probably never like I don't know exact words, but he said, Just enjoy it. Enjoy the moment. You'll never do it again. Something along those lines. Just enjoy the moment. And um, again, like I said, I've watched for a hundred moment back once, and he celebrates almost as much as me. He's running down, jumping at me, and 
you know, and I get out about two balls later and fun's over. And so, um, yeah, and actually, to be fair, to his credit, um, I was walking off and I was, I was fuming on myself. Like, I had my head down, I was chundering to myself, probably a few expletives in there. And actually, to be fair, Tony Palladino, as he's running with drinks at Derby, just said, mate, enjoy the moment, get your head up. And I got in there, looked up, and randomly, so being from Cornwall, St. Austral Brewery had a brewery day there that day. So it was probably the biggest crowd we had all year for a um, championship game. And a lot of people from Cornwall, not anyone who knew where I was, but it was quite a nice thing, really. So it was actually a decent crowd. So actually, well, I milked it a bit, walked off, and um, because it was uh, because it was St. Brewery Day, Benny Howe went and found me a pasty and brought me a pasty. So I sat and ate a pasty. Lucky <laughs> for some. A mad day. Uh, like I said, I'm never going to do it again. Oh, well, you never know, but I, I sincerely doubt I ever do it again. I've got past 50 once since, but... Um, yeah, a day that I never expected to happen, and I'll always be able to live on it that I did. Well, you certainly can. We're still talking yeah. about it to this day. I mean, some of us, as I said myself and Joe, were talking about it in 2021. <laughs> Just we we did we dedicated pretty much an entire segment of an episode to it because it was spectacular. 14 fours and three sixes for a night watchman. And how many times have we seen night watchmen go out there? You think they're going to score some runs first over of the day? They're gone clean bold or they get trapped LBW to see that three figures yeah. <laughs> a tail ender lifting up the bat taking off the yeah. helmet absolutely outstanding so yeah had to bring that up in today's episode Liam but before we get on to the discussion about Warwickshire which as you can imagine listeners I'm very much looking forward to in particular <laughs> these last couple of seasons just uh, one one final question I suppose in reflection from your time at Gloucestershire Liam what would you say were the toughest moments? Because as we know in life, not just in cricket, we all have our ups and downs, our peaks and troughs. And obviously those moments were fantastic, but they don't happen all the time. And in cricket, it's a very cruel game. You do have some yeah. incredibly low lows. So what would you say were some of your tougher moments from your time down um, in Bristol? So 2013-14 seasons were very low for me. Uh, 13, I just bought badly all year. To be blunt, I think I only played maybe four first-class games, and one of them was against Australia A, where Nick Madison took me to pieces. Um, I, yeah, I had a few niggles and bits and pieces and injuries, and a lot of people think I didn't play that year because of injury, but it was actually I just wasn't bowling well enough to be blunt. Um, I did tear my groin at one point, but I wasn't actually out for very long with that. Um, I just didn't bowl well enough to be like completely honest, uh, and I really struggled that year, and I think. For, looking back in reflection, I was 21. I just moved into a flat with the other lads. There's six of us living in a block of five of us living in a block of flats. And I'll be honest, I think I just acted more like a student. I did a professional cricket that year, if I'm going to be bluntly honest, and I wasted a year of my career. But um, that was tough because I'd finished the season before pretty well. Um, and then, yeah, like you feel like you've wasted a season. And then going into 2014, I worked. I live with Jack Taylor that winter and we both, so he was coming off his bowling ban about to start bowling again. I'd have a bad year and we both kind of committed to really training hard that winter. We both got ourselves in really good positions. And then I just didn't, it just didn't click for me that year. Again, I bowled pretty badly. And the, the lowest of the lows was Cheltenham Festival that year. So we played against Derby and played against Worcester. So 
I did have a high in the end because me and Craig put on a silly partnership guy, put on 140. But that kind of just masked everything because I think across a three-game period, so the game before Cheltenham Festival and the two at Cheltenham, I took one wicket across three games at an average of 300 maybe. And I was going at fours and fives against against um, Derby, Shivs, Shanderpool, took me to pieces. And then against Worcester, Dow Mitchell, Bag, and Tyrone, has got 100. And it wasn't just those, everyone hit me. But um, yeah, like, I got to the end of the Channel Festival. The best thing John Bracewell did for me, he dropped me to the twos. He said, You're not going to be part of 50 over tournament. Go to the twos. You need to learn to love cricket again. And it was the best thing he did for me. I went to the twos for basically the whole month of August that year. And I was the only pro. It was me, a young Miles Hammond, a few academy boys, and trialists. And did indeed basically said, you're not going to have a captaincy, you'll know you're the only pro, you're not going to have a captaincy, we're going to give it to a lad called Joe Barrett, who's a good cricketer, uh, was in the YCs and stuff. And you just need to learn to love cricket again. And I did, you know. Um, I then went back into the first team for the last month of the season. And let's think. I would have taken across the last three games 14 to 16 wickets at a more realistic, more comparable average to what I'm doing now. And that was probably the biggest turning point in my career. I went from putting so much pressure on myself and hating cricket. At the end festival, if I hadn't scored those runs, like I was hating, like I was hating bowling at that point. Those runs and that partnership model, like I said, covered everything. Um, yeah, like again, it was such a down moment, and I was offered a new extension in that year, and I was. This was before those. Um, so Gloucester obviously still saw something in me. But if I hadn't finished the season well, I'm not sure I would have signed that extension because I was hating it that much. Um, wow. And I had, well, I had proper conversations with people about maybe not carrying on. What would you uh, have done, though, in, in that I situation? <laughs> I, I, I was still 22, so maybe gone to late uni or something. I don't know. I hadn't really thought it through. I just knew I wasn't enjoying it. And then we kind of got to those last three games. I know one was against Worcester because uh, it was across the bank holiday weekend and we won in three days. And we had a big team night out afterwards. We actually had Mark Craig, the Australia, uh, New Zealand off-spinner playing for us uh, randomly. And then we played Leicester and Kent to finish the season. And um, yeah, like I just got my enjoyment back. You know, it was a bomb attack of me, David Payne and Craig Miles. Um, Al Gibman came back as captain for his last few games because uh, Klinger had broken his arm. Or well, was that the year Maxi broke his arm? I think it was the year Maxi broke his arm. But um so Maxi had, had to go, Michael Klinger had to go home early. So it was almost like it was back to my first few games where Al Gibman was captain. And I just enjoyed it again. I, I helped, I did well, but I really enjoyed those games of cricket. And then that just took me nice into 2015 season and 2015 season is kind of where my career then started to really kind of go where I'd hoped it would go and where I felt I could go with it. And um, so yeah, that was a tough moment. And my last year at Gloucester was very tough. Um, Tore my hamstring three times. And yeah. So first time pre-season, tore it fairly badly. In hindsight, we came back too early, but I this isn't anything bad effects from the club because I thought I was ready. I was sure I was ready. Got through 10 overs of a game against Camorgan. It then tore quite significantly more. Had a 10, 12-week rehab. Again, with hindsight, if we'd gone to see the specialist, which none, again, including me, says so isn't anything on the club, 
we none of us felt it was needed. So we didn't. If we'd gone to see the specialist, he would have told us to can the season then because it was such a significant tear. But we we rehabbed it, thinking it was a similar tear to the first one. Got did all hard yards. Played a couple of second team games. Then played some second team T20. Then the first T20 game of that year against Somerset. My seventh ball landed and it fully went again. And he just said it wasn't going to be able to cope with the demands of full full flow professional cricket. You can't replicate that in um, second team or practice. So, and I'd already signed for Warwickshire at this point. So I knew walking off the pitch, that was my last game of Gloss, and that was a real low moment. Like, I didn't get to play my last Cheltenham Festival, and I love Cheltenham. Um, although I had that bad experience there in 2014. Generally, Cheltenham was my favourite time of year as a Gloss player. Um, and yeah, like I said, so after I'd always signed for the Bears at that point, so I knew that was going to be the last time walking off the pitch at Gloss, and I just wish I'd managed to leave on a year where I played and did well. Um, I was pretty open with Gloss the whole time and everything about what I was looking. I was only ever going to leave to go to a test match ground to see if I was good enough to play a test match ground. So that's the only way I was going to leave. And then Warwickshire was the right fit because world-class bowling coach and pop coach at the time. Gary, one of the best grounds been around and just good cricket pitches where you have to earn your wickets. And yeah, so 2013, 14, and then my last year at Gloss are the times that I really struggled, but for different reasons. And um, yeah, like it's just uh, the injuries is my biggest regret about Gloss is that last year not being able to play. But you know, like, cricket's funny. I could end up there, back there in three, five, six years. You know, who knows? Um, I plan to finish my career where I am, but cricket's funny. You just don't know, do you? Well, you don't, but if it feels up to me. If I was the director of cricket, Liam, 10-year contracts on your table tonight after the past couple of years. But, uh, no, it's understandable, of course. It is. Injuries are a horrible part of the game, and unfortunately, you've had far too many in your yeah, career. It really um, is a shame. And, like, it, I'll be blunt, it is a chip on my shoulder that I've I'm not. I'm never going to hide away from when I've had injuries. You can't, you know. Uh, my first year stress fracture, missing the whole year. Like I said, 2013, a few injuries, but primarily because I didn't. I wasn't being picked because I wasn't playing. But then I think the problem is when you have injuries. Like I've had some serious injuries. People forget you do spend long periods fit. So 2014 to the end of 2017, so three seasons, I missed a handful of games. Um, I wasn't picked all the time, which sometimes people think, oh, I must be injured not playing. And then 2018, yeah, rubbish, three hamstring tears. Join the Bears, Tamar Peck, play four games, rip, rip the same hamstring. Amazingly, completely different area. The surgeon, so the surgeon who fixed my hamstring, my first year at the Bears, was the person who we chatted to when I was a cross. He said, You've actually done a very good job on that rehab. We just somehow managed to rip a completely different thing. So, and then, so my first year at Warwickshire, rep with injury, then COVID, the 21 go well, then this year, a whole variety of things concussion, back issues, tearing elbow, you know, so I'm not, it is, I hate the fact that I've got this tag, I can't hide from it, it, it is what it is, I have had injuries but it's something I'm always just going to work my hardest to make sure I'm fit and I can hopefully shake that tag eventually. Exactly there's still time, at the end of yeah. the day I mean, it's not your own fault is it? Injuries just happen. Oh, it so... happens but it's, you, 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 when they happen you blame yourself yeah, so I know they're not your fault, but you still feel like you let the whole team down when not playing. You still feel like, was there something I could have done for it? 
and they're the worst. It's not the injury. They're the things that are the worst part of our injuries, you know. Um, but like I said, I can't hide from the fact I've had injuries and I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, no, I'm not injury prone and blah, 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 blah. But um, it's one of those I've just got to keep working, be as fit as I can to try and shake that tag. Exactly. And you will, Liam. At the end of the day, I've got full faith in you. The Warwickshire fans will always <laughs> have your back, so don't you worry about that for one second. And talking to the Bear and Ragged staff, been waiting all episode to get the Warwickshire <laughs> bias out, to be honest. For today's recording, 200 episodes in, this might be the longest time I've gone without mentioning Warwickshire County yeah, Cricket yeah. Club because... Over 2000... I know. <laughs> it must be a record for me. <laughs> new milestone, new me. But um, obviously, 2018, you mentioned that about signing the contract and just for the listeners out there who don't already know about that first taste, that first experience of Edgbaston, yeah. can you take us through your first impressions of Warwickshire as a yeah, club? So I think the biggest thing, like, so Warwickshire, I'll go for a little bit. So Warwickshire interested, uh, like I'd already previously said, um, I was only ever going to go to a test match ground. So then that got me interested. And I met Ashley Giles at Gloucester Services for a coffee. We chatted for maybe an hour. And then he said, well, I'd like, like you to come to the ground to see it. And about a week later, I went up to the ground. And um, being at Gloucestershire, I'd only ever been to Edgbaston once. It was still in the building works at the time. So I never had the full Edgbaston experience. So the only other times I've been to Edgbaston were for the PCA offices around the back. So in the um, old stand across the far side. So I'd never really been around the stadium, been in the indoor school. And... Like this is no disrespect to Gloucester. Like when you you're at, t- at Gloucester, where we we didn't have the best facilities, and you go and see these facilities, like straight away, your your your, your attention's there. You you you're looking around, you think, wow, this is this is a different level. And then actually giving me the full tour, I met Gary the groundsman, bumped into Wokesy, um, looked around the changing rooms, this and that. Where then we sat in the um, press box and just chatted. And then I left him and my agent to it. But I left that room knowing I wanted to play there for a mixture of facilities. I wanted to test myself on test match pitches. And Ashley's words were, we tell Gary to make the same as what Fabi says, um, Paul Fabri says, we tell Gary to make the best pitches possible. We don't tell him to make a green one. We don't tell him to make a one that spins. We tell him to make the best pitch possible. And that, for someone who wanted to prove to him, it wasn't to prove to anyone else, it was just to prove to myself that I was good enough to go to a test match ground and be successful. So I didn't want to have regrets later on in my career or make a last minute change in my career to try and go when I was past my best, you know? So for me, it was, I wanted to prove myself I was good enough to go and do it. And that's pop, pop Welsh, Gary making the best pitches possible and just the facilities are what sold it to me, you know? And I left that room knowing I wanted to play there. Met my agent, I went down to the changing room, had a cup of tea, uh, met the great Keith Cook um and then, yeah well, that's an understatement and then uh, my agent darren came down we left and i just got into the car park and said make it happen not f- like you know what i want which i'm happy to say was a three-year deal and just to match for off the blocks had on the table um and i said like my wife or she wasn't my wife at the time my fiance at the time lauren was in the ball ring so i said i'm gonna go make sure she's happy but this is where i want to play if you don't hear from me, you know I'm good. And went and chat to Lauren. She was happy. And it was, I had to go and have some checks on my hamstring because obviously I had that bad last year at Gloucester. But um, it was all done quite quickly, really. Um, 
and I actually it was done kind of end, it was done before the Champion Festival, so it shows how early the deal was done. Um, and the worst part of the whole thing, I'm pretty sure any cricketer has left the team with Harry is telling the Gloss Boys, it was horrible. And but every one of them turned around, came, gave me a hug, and said, "You're doing the right thing for you," you know, or worse to those effect. And you know, when your current teammates are saying that, you know, you made the right choice, you know. Um, but yeah, so they were my first impressions, and then my first winter of 2018 going into 2019, I knew I made the right choice. I loved my first winter there. Um, again, the facilities helped, but the way the lads trained, the way everyone went about it, and something else, which again is no disrespect to Gloss, but the amount of coaches that were there, we'd have five, six coaches in on a day, whereas at Gloss, sometimes we might only have one or two, and that's nothing against them. That's just that's how the club is, you know. And we we're very lucky at Gloss with Ian Harvey, Richard Dawson, two unbelievable coaches. So it's not like the coaching standards bad, then nothing of those sorts. It's just there's so many more coaches for for a low on the batsman. It suddenly meant I actually had a coach to bat with rather than the bowling machine or working with other bat or working with other bowlers when you're batting. You know, it meant because there's so many coaches, you could have good long one-on-one sessions with Graham Welch instead of just a big group session, which you still do. Don't get me wrong; you have your big group sessions, but it meant because there's so many coaches and there's so such good facilities, you could just prioritize your cricket and yourself away from the main group. And then when you're back in the main group. It's just such a great environment. Um, and yeah, so I love my first winter and that led us into the 2019 season. Yes, it did indeed. And before we touch upon, again, your debut, which was quite something, <laughs> and your home debut against Surrey, what a game that was. Jitan taking eight for 36 yeah. against Surrey. And I wasn't there for that. I was there for day one when we were struggling, actually. I wasn't there for Jitan's <laughs> eight for, unfortunately. But yeah, first and foremost, great to hear that with the Gloucester boys. Yeah. And I've had a number of the Gloucestershire players on. It's a lovely club isn't it family orientated great oh, community driven yeah. and even now like so we um so graham van buren their captain was my best man at my wedding i had a lot of gloss boys at my wedding and it's even like little things like so we, me and me and my wife and my kids were been away for a few days and we stopped in bristol yesterday i put up a picture on my instagram and i straight away I had two or three of the lads messaging oh you're in bristol you know like well we just stopped for an hour or two just to break up the journey for the kids but um it's just is that kind of club the lads are great it's still a good core with lads that I was there with. And, you know, um, I've got friends of life in that change room, and that's not going to change. And even, like, Richard Dawson and coaches were all messaging me after that last day of the season this year. So it's nice that I know Richard Dawson isn't there still, but there's coaches there who still want to see me do well with them up there. And um, this year, getting to play at Champion again was great. Because, like I said, Champion's my favourite time of year. And um, I know I was in a different shirt, and it was a bit different. The crowd weren't as friendly as they used to be to me and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I love the 50 every game at Cheltenham this year. And I will always love playing at Cheltenham. It's one of the best places to play. It is. It's my favourite outground, first mm. and foremost. I'll just put that out there. I've said yeah. that so many times here on the podcast. And a really quite unappreciated aspect of the Cheltenham Festival, they still sell Calippo shots, if you know what they are. Oh, the little, little bees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You have them on a match day. Goodness me, they just hit different. I mean, more grounds need to start selling them, but when it's like 30-odd degrees and you're there at Cheltenham College, crikey, that is something else. And again, can't really say enough good things about Gloucestershire. Got a lot of time for that county cricket club and the people involved down in Bristol and in Cheltenham. But I suppose the other aspect that I would say about that first impression, imagine if Lauren hadn't liked Birmingham. Things could have been incredibly different, couldn't they? Oh, jeez. Oh, 
Uh, she's since we so since we met my again I met her in between the 2014-15 season when my career started to go like that and her influence on me her support like even if she didn't like Birmingham she would tell me this is this way you want to play we're playing you know like we're moving and you know um she's not had it easy up here like we've had two kids since we moved up here and her family were in Cornwall, my family are miles away, so she's not had it easy here, but the support she gives me and the support she gives my, our family is, I couldn't do it without her. So, you know, I'm incredibly lucky. Indeed, Liam, and I mentioned this on Twitter, actually, on that final day of the season. If you ever want a family ticket to Warwick Castle, it's there. <laughs> it is there. I no, know I'm you want. My parents are coming to visit in a few weeks, and we might be going, because my little boy loves Zog, so you never know. <laughs> What is it? I can't remember what it's called now. Is it like Zog's, well, Zog's Kingdom or something? Kingdom or yeah, we've been a couple of we've been once before, and our oldest Rory, who's free, loved it. So we'll be going again soon. There you go, folks. Well, I do owe you a ticket. Actually, if you look back I on the Twitter, I, I can't shy away from that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad to hear that your your family's doing so well, Liam. And of course, yeah, shout out to your wife as well. Because if she didn't like <laughs> Birmingham, things could be very different. We <laughs> might have one less championship and <laughs> one less Bob Willis Trophy in the cabinet. And before we get on to 2021, because that was one of the greatest days of my my life, to be honest, that final day at Edgebaston. I never thought I'd, I'd witness the championship being lifted live and yeah, I'll discuss my emotions when we get to that point. But in terms of your debut, that was something quite special, wasn't it, against Somerset? I know we lost the game in Taunton, but yeah. um, was it just the seven wickets? Seven in the second inning, yeah. So the fact we lost yeah. tainted it a bit. But before I go on to me, I think the bigger picture of that game way that we we'd start the season poorly that year um we'd lost the first two games and i came in for that game but the way we stood up in that last innings and try and haney got 90 odd not out batted superbly the way the lads fronted up and being behind in the game and tried to pull the game back i think is where that season started to turn around so i think i was lucky that i came into the team at that point where we started to turn things around because then it kind of looks good on you because you're the only thing that's changed that team where it wasn't. It was the actual attitude of everyone and the, um, I think everything just started to click a bit better, you know? Um, but yeah, so first innings bowled awfully. Like, I bowled, went five and a half and over. And it wasn't nerves, it wasn't anything. I just I just had a day where I struggled. I got a couple of wickets. I got a nice, Azarali with a nice one and Craig Overton with one clip top of off stump. But, um, I didn't bowl well. Like I remember Abe's, Tom Abel took me down a little bit and I think it was George Bartlett took me down a little bit. I think I was going to sevens after my first four overs. And then I've, I only bowled four overs. Jeeps took me off. I think Will Rhodes came on, um, which, well, at, Will wasn't bowling a huge amount then. So if Will was bowling before lunch, I knew we weren't going very well. Um, and it was a helpful pitch. And we kind of came in at lunch and I, can't what, I don't know what Jeeps said to me. Jeeps said something to me like along the lines of, don't worry, we know you, we know why you're here. Don't put pressure on yourself. And then I bought much better after lunch in a decent spell, got a wicket, but much, much, much better. And then, like I said, it's a helpful wicket. Ollie had a dog about unbelievable. I think it was something five for 18 off 10 overs, something stupid like that. Um, and basically kept this in the game because I went at fives. Henry went for a few. Uh, I think Will had gone for a few. So he kind of kept this in the game. And then, um, Batted, and I'm not sure how many we were in deficit, maybe 30 or 40. But they by well, they had a very, very good bowling attack out there. Grenoble, Overton, Gregory, and Davy. I mean, 
four seamers on a pitch, those four seamers on a pitch, I was doing a bit. It's going to be tough work. Um, and then I got out in comical fashion. Um, I just, like, everyone thinks I left it, but I just lost sight of it. Like, so as Overton's bowling, I've just lost sight of it. And I've kind of half ducked, half left, and I've been bowling around my legs with bases, the balls underneath my foot, and bowling around my legs. I think the worst part of that was Azra Ali was wearing his foot and as I'm walking off, he goes, did that lip back? I said, no, bowling around my legs, mate. <laughs> and then, um, so I was pretty, I was not in a great space in that 10 minutes changeover. And Jeeps just came and said to me, you're taking the new ball. I bowled first change in the first innings, whether they did that to, to kind of set my nerves or whatever. And he said, you're going to take the new ball and you're going to do something special for us. Um, and he went, all right. You know, I bowled most of the afternoon and got seven for <laughs> It went all right. You're too modest, Liam. Seven for 41 from 12.5 second innings overs. And that was remarkable. I mean, what a way to announce yourself. And yeah. can I just say as well, big fan of, of G-Tan Patel. So to hear that is absolutely lovely. That man is a legend He's of Warwickshire County man. Cricket Club. What a man, what a man. But um, yeah, like, like I said, I, I wanted to... There's a bit of me who's really annoyed at the way I bowl first innings and that's comical dismissal. But like Jeep saying that to me, kind of lifted me again. And then I don't know what happened first over. Um, Ollie bowled first over. And then I just, I remember just saying to myself, right, you're going to show everyone why you moved to this club. And I think it almost helped again being from Gloucester, playing in Somerset. So deep in me, there's still the whole Gloucester Somerset rivalry. I know I'm from Cornwall and I should support Somerset, but playing in Gloucester, there's still the whole Gloucester Somerset thing deep inside of me, which is never going to go. Um, and yeah, I got. I just, I just told myself to show everyone why you joined this club. And I think as I ran out my first over, got Hildreth out my second or third. And then I think I felt like I was really on song and might get a few when I got Triscothic out. Um, again, it's strange. Like we've talked about the 2005 Ashes, but it's strange to me that I'd play against these people. You know, mm-hmm. like I know he's now retired, and I don't think there's anyone left playing apart. No, I don't think there's anyone left playing from that group. Not in county cricket proper, no, but no. Gary Pratt still plays in the minor counties. So there we go. But um, I've been very fortunate to play against, I'd play against and with a lot of that 11, which is, again, a crazy thing for me to think. But um, which was, yeah, so, so it still boggles my mind that I got to bowl against Marcus Scoffing on more than one occasion. But um, when I got him out, is when I start, started thinking, I'm on here. Like, let's, let's keep this going and then. Got Abe's out just before lunch. Um, and then got Lewis Gregory out in the first ball after lunch. And um, well, I'm, I'm, like, look, you, you, you play cricket to be successful. And cricket is an individual game within a team game, if you look, because of the stats and how you judge and this and that. But I've never had, when I got that fifth wicket, Abe, the way the lads were, they just engulfed me. Like, um, it was. Like for me, who's still relatively new into that team, it just showed the culture of the bear and what it means to those boys to be doing well. But the relief I felt, you know, and then luckily enough, got a couple more wickets and finished with seven. But um, for me, it was just, I, I, I just wanted to show people why I'd made the step up and I was good enough to make the step up to be playing at a big, like at a test match county like Warwickshire and to be playing Division One cricket, which I'd never done until that point. Well, it certainly paid off in the years Mm. that followed. And yeah, yeah, Warwickshire, massive club, fourth most successful of all time. And obviously, I'm going to reiterate this stat, but since 1990, 
the most successful club in county cricket with 15 major trophies won. Had to get that in there at some point in this podcast. But aside from that debut, your home debut, this was more so with the bats, 64 from 53 balls, which included 11 fours and a six against Surrey. But I have actually got a question about this, right? Is that your favourite batting display in a bear shirt? Because last season, well, 2021 now, I suppose... (laughs) I was there to witness one of the most hilarious batting displays I've ever seen in my life. And that was the Knotts game at home at Edgebaston. Oh, and that no, was I... that last wicket partnership with Oliver yeah, and Dolby. And he was hitting cover drives. Bear in mind, I've been watching Ollie at Edgebaston for years. And you can you can bet your life on him that he'll defend. He's got a really good forward defensive. But there was that extra batting bonus point on the line. Hmm. And he smacked it through the covers for four. And I've never seen anything like it. It's like watching Sangakara. In his prime. So, in terms, in terms of which one of those knocks was more enjoyable, would it be the 64 or the 26, which was part of that incredible 52 run partnership with the Owl? I'm not sure because I'll be honest, I spent most of the, 50, the 60, uh, 64 scared of Morning Walker. So, I'm more scared than, than, um, than enjoyable. But it was a lot of fun with Henry, um, that one. But uh, going to the you just mentioned with Hand Dolby with uh, needing one bonus point. He didn't want to run to the keeper. I wanted to run to the keeper. And we, 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 I reckon we, between, because he, from my memory, the ball before he hooked off his nose around the corner, unbelievable, even better shot than the four. He hooked off his nose the four. So then we're sending one runaway. And I reckon we walked back and forth three times. So uh, me saying, let, we've got to go for one. Him saying, no, 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 better we back time and score runs and get a bonus point. As it was, it didn't matter. He smoked notes ball through four. But um, yeah, <laughs> it was my, my favorite. That wasn't even my favorite part of that. And I'm not mentioning this because I hit it on top of the hollies, but I hit one. I smoked, I, I got one um, spinner, Passon White. And it, Passon White, I remember the shot. <laughs> and it flipped the top of the hollies and went over. So I claim it went over. If you ask Ed Pollock, who's properly clear that it didn't go over. But Ollie's face when he walked down to me was a mixture of laughing and shock. And that's my, not the fact that it was just his face then was my favourite part of that. But um, yeah, the Surrey one, going back to that, was like me and Henry back quite normally up to the new ball. And I'll be honest, I was pretty scared of morning walk over the new ball. And I, I went quite agricultural. I think my first one was a filthy hack. I, I think when that first over the new ball, we had four fours off it and they were all filthy hacks. One went flying over the slips. One went through Cal Corner. One was actually okay. It was a clip. And then another just filthy pull shot hack through Cal Corner. And I, me and Henry kind of just looked at me and said, yeah, let's, let's play like that. And we went all right. <laughs> and I just kept playing like that. I just basically swung at anything bold. And it came off. Because I'll be honest, I did not fancy wearing one morning walk with a brand new ball. <laughs> no. That that's something that I would not envy at all. That man was scary, wasn't he, Mornay, in a Surrey shirt? But it's also I've never met him before that game. Lovely, wonderful bloke to chat to. Like especially because I'm playing against him and he's never met me before. I was up to my mark. We happened to be doing our at the same time, and I just started chatting to him about cricket and um, I just asked him like just general questions about how he's found adapting his conditions. Has he had doing anything different with born? He started chatting about grips on the ball and such like. So a lovely, lovely bloke and. I've, if I ever, if 
I, I wish I'd been in that. Sorry, changing a little bit to learn from him, if you know what I mean. But because um, he seemed like that kind of bloke who just share everything. But uh, yeah, when he's running in at you, his size, his frame, and just the aggression that seems to be coming off him was scary. I did not like it, and I just swung at everything to. I don't know, partly thinking I might just get out quickly and not have to worry about it. But then once I started hitting him, it went all right. So <laughs> you just go with it, don't you? Well, it went more than all right. Fifty of those runs coming in boundaries and. Liam, I've been waiting to unleash this stats all episode long. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, actually. But since the start of 2019, mm. you've hit seven sixes in the yep. county championship. That's the same number of sixes hit as Liam Livingston. So <laughs> that is something which you can wear as a badge of honour. <laughs> you have got the same number of sixes in the past four seasons as an <laughs> England international. So does that mean I should be batting in the Pakistan tests. 100%. Yeah, not York. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure you can compare our batting. Apart from the fact we're both called Liam, I'm not sure you can compare much about us as cricketers. <laughs> Just an interesting stat, to be honest. Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. I mean, as you can tell, a lot of a lot of research went into that. Yeah. Had to look through all of the... How many batters you have to sift through until you found one that hit the same matter? Yeah, but it's, it's a good one. Liam Livingston, yeah. that man is... Goodness me, some cricketer is near cross formats and yeah. yeah, now gonna be playing test cricket in Pakistan. But Liam, aside from twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, which I've spoken to with a lot about the lads, you know, the yeah. likes of Milo Burgess, Rhodes, it was a very weird season, wasn't it, with COVID and yeah. obviously unfortunately for yourself, hmm. didn't really play much part as a result of, of injury. So no. so yeah, I I had a bad back and I've said this before in an interview and it might sound silly as a professional cricketer, but I won't change it because I got to spend four months at home with my, he was three and a half, Rory was three and a half months when we ended lockdown and I got to have all that time with him and my back went from well, playing around on the floor with him and carrying him around and, you know, and doing all the stuff you should be doing with your children instead of playing cricket, you know, and I, as I, 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 I never want to miss cricket for injury, but if I'm going to miss cricket for injury, I will take having those months, seeing him grow and getting that chance to be with him during lockdown, I'll miss three games of cricket for that, you know? So that's the one time I've never begrudged an injury because of why I got it, you know? Well, you shouldn't. You shouldn't feel any begrudgement at all. I mean, it's completely normal. And we, we do sometimes look at any professional sports person as just the athlete, but there's the person as well. And, you know, as you said... You're not just Liam Norwell, the cricketer. You're Liam Norwell, the dad, as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely fine, Liam. There's no issue with that whatsoever, in particular, considering how yeah. things went in 2021, eh? With the <laughs> county championship. And <laughs> I've been waiting all episodes to talk about this, that final game against Somerset at Edgebaston. Because obviously, with the format, it was very different compared to yeah. a usual championship running. But it was flipping dramatic, wasn't it? Just a bit. Um, so, talking about the different format, everything went our way that could possibly go our way. We went into that final group stage of knots, we've beaten twice, so we got a nice advantage going in. So, um, yeah, was, that game had everything. You had, you even had attempted mancads in there, you know? Um, so, it literally had a bit of everything. Um, but I think you could say the stars aligned and, like, if the game went as well as it could have done with the events that were happening at um at, not Old Trafford at Liverpool weren't they? 
Yeah, Egbeth, yeah. Uh, we went to happen at Liverpool. The game was going as well as it could have done. Daniel Briggs played an unbelievable innings to get us across the batting bonus point. And then we just we started off really nice with the ball. Um, but we just could not get break that wicket that eighth wicket between Gregory and Leach, I think it was. We just could not break it. Yeah, a bit frustrating that. And I'll be honest, when we ticked past 110 overs, you felt the whole ground just go, you know, on the third morning. Like, oh, we've, we're done, we're, we're done. And we didn't feel like that on the pitch. We knew still we had to win the game to even have a remote chance. We didn't know what's happening at um, Liverpool at this stage. So I think what was about a 20-run deficit, 30-run deficit in the end when we finally got Leach and um, Davy out. 22 to be exact. Yeah, 22. 22. Um, yeah. Then one... Three of the best things you're going to see. Rob Yates with that 100 was superb. And I love Craig Miles, but in my opinion, that was performance of the season. I know I love Craig and he's bowled superbly during Bob Willis Trophy. But that innings, without that innings, without Rob Yates playing the way he did, we don't win the championship. But then you can say the same with without Sibley and Will Rhodes playing the way they did, we don't win the championship. Like, Sibs put everyone doubts about him being able to play through the offside or aggressively to bed in that one innings. Um, and for him, who'd been left out of the test team four weeks earlier, it was so great just to see him be able to go out and do A, score runs fluently, but B, you could just see, in my opinion, you could see almost the, he was just taking out his frustrations from those last few months out in that innings. Um, and then Will came in and played at unbelievable innings. Some of the shots Will Rose played in that innings were quite remarkable, but without Rob Yates batting there and holding it together, we don't have a target to bowl at and we don't have a chance to win the championship, you know. Um, he had a phenomenal season as it was, but, I mean, he's going to be some player, Rob Yates. Some player. So the next morning, it's, you know, it's a different morning because you've suddenly got sky cameras around you and warm-ups and this and that, and you've got um, Matt Collis on the big, uh, Matt Collis from the guys who work behind the scenes. Um, admin oh, right, on Twitter as well, yeah. isn't he? I say our admin on Twitter, a lot of, a lot of people from here might know him as was around and filming and this and that. And you know, so you knew there was something a bit different. But no, we knew it was going to be tough because obviously at that point, going into day four, I think there'd been 22 wickets falling in the game. So to actually force a result in what we knew was going to be at most two and a half sessions was going to be very, very tough. But apart from my opening spell, which I just got too revved up for it, if you know what I mean. I just didn't control my emotions, which I will then tell you a little story about in a bit to do this year. But um, I didn't control my emotions. I went for 20 in my first few overs. Oh, some more right balls in there. But, I mean, I ran in too fast. I tried to bowl, too, I tried to bowl one of the balls. It's something I used, it was almost like as a 19-year-old again, trying to prove my way. You know, it's it was almost like the, wow, this is why I came to this club, to try and win a championship. And I have this opportunity. I've got, and I tried too hard. And then at lunch, I, I was fuming with myself. I sat by myself at, like, on that little documentary video they did last year. You can see I'm sitting by myself, just eating. I was fuming with myself. Let myself be fuming with myself for 20 minutes. And then Pop Welch said to me, right, you're going to do, you're going to take wicked stuff and then you're going to do something special. And again, it was a bit like Jeeps on my debut. That kind of just settled me. They have confidence in me that they're, Robert, Mark Robinson said to me, um, 
just control yourself, control your emotions, you'll be all right. And then, um, yeah, I did bolts. Then we started off lovely. Brezzy gets us a wicket, a bit fortunate, not a great decision, but you take them. And then Wokes, you get Azarali out, and you know, right, we're on it. Then Marlow comes on, who bowled beautifully first innings, not taking a wicket, and gets um, Abel and Lewis Goldsworthy. And they're five down, and you're like, we're in it, we're in. But you know, they've still got Stephen Davis out there batting, they've got Gregory. And like in the first innings, we're still going to get through Leeds and Davy. You know, they've still got plenty of batting to come. And yeah, uh, like I said, I bowled three overs of 20 or 21, bowled pretty poorly. And I think my next four overs or five overs, overs were maidens. Um, bowled, I just relaxed. Like, probably helped the lads to take in wickets. So there was less pressure on me to feel like I had to do something special. But also, it was just me telling myself to just do what you've done all year. You know, you bowl well all year. You've got, you've helped the team into this position to have a chance to win a championship. So just relax and you'll be all right. And I bowled one of the best players in the bowl to Stephen Davis, you know. Um, it wasn't like they were, and it, let's say I bowled three or four maidens, however it was, maybe four maidens in a row. It wasn't, and they weren't just like boring leave maidens. They were like good bowling maidens. And I don't often give myself credit, but that's up there with maybe the best, like I said, one of the best players I've ever bowled. And that's what I now use when I'm having doubts about myself I go back and I have that footage and that's the footage I watch to right this is what I do well this is how I do it well you know um and then we got a ball change it was the ball in our shape which did actually do a lot last season but wasn't that well documented and then did it stupidly stupidly a lot this year um and about one ball and it just sounded different off the bat like this is hard this is a hard ball and next ball bowled Davis with and then it kind of we hadn't taken a wicket for a little while at that point. He kind of got everyone going again. And then, yeah, then Wokesy came on and bowled a Jaffa to Craig Overton. And we went into T7 down and it was strange because you knew you were almost there, but you knew it was still, like, you didn't know whether to enjoy it and celebrate because you had, you were so close, but you're so, so far to go. Or whether to... Like, so I ended up just getting a plate of food, sitting in front of the viewing area and just kind of just focusing on task in hand. And I did that again this year. But um, I just kind of took myself, I tried to distance myself from the emotions of it all and just, right, you've still got something to do here. We still have three wickets to get. And the first or second ball after T, Wokesy flattens, leeches off stump, and all that goes out the window and you're running around the pitch like a madman trying to chase Wokesy. And um, then again, a bit of a partnership between Davy and Gregory. And Milo gets Gregory with an interesting shot. Um, not probably one of the, not the best ball Craig bowled all day, but a very good catch from Virgie because it flew through. And then I've ne- like end last night of the season, I'm bowled 14 or 13 or 14 overs in the day, and I've never felt so fresh running in the ball. It felt like like Craig was bowling at the other end. So for me, because we left obviously Gloss at the same time and. I've already shared about my, almost my cricket journey started playing against Craig. It was quite nice that someone I'd gone through a lot of cricket with was bowling in tandem with me. Um, we chatted about it at the end, but uh, it was just like you're floating into bowl. Like, I, I'd love to know what an atmosphere running into bowl like. Obviously, I've been in test match grounds watching, and um, I've been at Ashes games watching, but the atmosphere is unbelievable. But that, that atmosphere that day was so amazing, and to that edge was probably a quarter full, you know. So what it'd be like in a full, but if I, oh, who knows? But 
I mean, Craig Weston, it almost sounded like we were gliding into Bob. And then, yeah, like, I bowled a pretty decent over to Brooks. And last ball, I had a gully all over. Will put a gully in. I put a fly slip in. We changed around the field, trying to keep on strike. And luckily, we made the field change went straight to gully. And then I went running off like a madman. Ran straight to deep point where Danny Briggs was and gave him a cuddle. Oh, wow, big hug. And then when Denson realised there's nowhere near anyone else, I ran back to the big um, the huddle. Um, huddle and kind of me and Craig ran into each other on the way in and we joined the huddle and, yeah, Bedlam. You know, it's... it's, like, it's I, I love the fact that I took the wicket to win. I'm not going to lie, I do. It's a great moment for me. And um, like that day, like behind my head here is me and my wife, Lauren, and Rory with the trophy. You know, um is a day I live me forever. And as much for those scenes afterwards where we had parents, grandparents, kids, girlfriends, extended family out on the pitch. It was, I've never had like, felt so much, so much love in one place, if you go what I mean. And so like, it was um, such a great feeling, like everyone there together and families, everyone able to enjoy it. But, it was those moments straight after the game where you're in the huddle and it's everyone's going mad and you realise you've done it and you're hugging each other. They're the moments that will live with you forever, you know. Um, and hopefully there's more to come. We, we've still pretty much got the same team that won that championship apart from Lamy, which a uh, great cricketer and I wish him all the best at Derby and Sibs and, again, great cricketer, both from great blokes and wish them all the best at Surrey. Wish they weren't going, but... Um, we still pretty much got the same team. We got people come. We got, like I said, Ed Barnard will probably feel like a landing role with the bowling, and you know we're still pretty much got the same team with the additions of Al Davis and Rushy, and you know it's going to be hopefully more of those days to come. Fingers crossed, because yeah. it, it was you can't describe days like that. Yeah. You just can't. They're days which you dream of your entire <laughs> life. You dream of that moment of experience in it. And I'll just give it to you from a, a fan's perspective, to be honest, Liam. Because I don't usually get emotional with cricket. I really don't. Don't get me wrong. I, I get far too in, interested and far too involved, especially when it's Warwickshire. The stress yeah. levels rise, in particular, at the end of this season. But I'd never seen Warwickshire lift a major trophy before. I'd seen us lift Division 2 in 2018, but that was very bittersweet yeah. because that was Trotty's last game. Brighton Barks were, were leaving the club as well. And... That didn't feel as much of a celebration. But when that final wicket was taken, as I said, I don't get emotional. <laughs> I kid you not, there were tears. There were tears yeah. flooding down my face. And I'm actually very glad that yourself and the boys did actually have a bit of time at the end mm. before you came out and did the trophy presentation because I got yeah. a couple of photos with Sibbers and Haney. Because if you would have done that directly after... I would have had all these bloodshot eyes. I would have had, you know, red cheeks and everything. I just couldn't believe it. And in particular, that season, 2021, we'd gone through all the COVID stuff the previous year. We hadn't been allowed in as fans. 2021, first couple of games, we weren't allowed in either. So, for example, yeah, the Derbyshire game. Season, weren't you? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And just that final day, I was there with a couple of friends. And to witness my county of Warwickshire, I was born in Warwick. To witness hmm. Warwickshire County Cricket Club lift the county championship for just the eighth time in this club's 126-year history in this competition. It's a day that lives on for the rest of your life, if not the rest of eternity. And 
Liam, I know this is a very prevalent question, but I asked this to the likes of Milo, Burgess, Rhodes, Haney. Has it actually sunk in just yet in terms of the magnitudes of that achievement? When you think of how many players have played for Warwickshire, which is less than the number of people who have been to space, according to Oliver Hannah Dorby. Yeah. <laughs> I read the, the interview, don't yeah. you worry about that, with uh, Ali Martin. Great, great yeah. piece. Highly recommend it. But when you think of, of that number, that's an even smaller number when you consider the fact that, what, 70 cricketers have represented Warwickshire and been in a starting eleven that has lifted the county championship. Has the magnitude of that achievement ever really sunk in? I don't think it's... It's sunk in this year when we realised what position we were in and going into those last few games. That's when it, that's when it hit home to me of how... Not how far we dropped, but like how well we're done last year, you know? That's when you realise, wow, that is why yes, championships are so hard to win because they are such a rare thing. You've got, like, apart from Essex in 17 and 19, and I think the Surrey team are going to be around for a while. They're such good teams, but um, you very rarely see teams go back-to-back. Back, apart from, Obviously, Yorkshire did a few years ago. And they had a three-year period of success. And going back to back, that's a remarkable achievement. Remarkable achievement. We very rarely see the same team in it for more than a two or three year period because I think it's such it's a hard thing to a keep your standards that high, b keep all your players informed long enough to keep going. Yeah, it's um it hit home this year when we're going to those last three champion games with exactly what we've done last year and how the magnitude of it and and if things had gone badly, we wouldn't be the first team. It's been happened four times in the last 15 years, I've been reliably told. That team have won it gone down next year. So it's not like we've been the only team, but now going, going through it, I can see why it happens because you're at such a high. And obviously I, mi- I missed part of last winter training because I was lucky enough to be abroad. But um, you're at such a high through those winter trainings and everything. Winter goes like that and you're suddenly back playing again. And... I think you're still kind of floating over last season and then this new season hits and you're suddenly behind the eight ball. And I think the big thing learning from that whole championship is if I hope I am and I really hope I am, but I'm fortunate enough to do it again is for next year, you've got to go out even harder because you've got, you've got a target on your back. And I don't, I don't think we played that much different cricket this year. I don't, obviously we had injuries and we we're missing players and bits and pieces, but Apart from Haney outstanding runs this year, a lot of batters scored a similar amount of runs this year. A lot of bowlers took a similar amount of wickets. Averages maybe slightly higher because we maybe didn't bowl as tightly, but our actual overall stats weren't that different. So it just shows how much of a team effort and how how hard it is to do it again, you know? But uh, I really hope there's, uh, there's more of those opportunities down the road. Oh, there will be. It's Warwickshire. We find a way. We, we genuinely just do. It's it's quite remarkable, the consistency of this club in my lifetime, at least, to to win trophies. We seem to win them every two, three seasons. It's astonishing. It really is. And 2021, what a year. First of all, the championship and then the Bob Willis trophy. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty special as well, in particular for this club, because yeah. Bob is a legend. And the fact it's not been played now, so we get to keep, keep the trophy. And he, he gets yes, to stay home at Edgbaston. It might be played again in the future and it might go off then, but it's nice that that trophy stays with us. Um, 
That was it was a great game in the wrong. Anytime you get to play at Lords, it's an absolute privilege. Absolute privilege. And to get to play there in a final on TV and win, something will stay with me forever because unfortunately, all I played the run up to obviously going back to Gloss, all, all I played run up to winning the 50 over tournament of Gloucestershire, the last ball of the fifty of the semi-final tournament pack, so and I wasn't available for the final. But um so I didn't get to experience that. So getting to experience winning a final at Lords something that stay with me forever. But it was such a strange game because we technically won it on day one because of it being played in October and because of the rules. You won on first innings. So we skilled them with 70. We, we were past them for none down on day one. So day one, we knew we'd won the game. Like, not new, but we knew it was going to be very hard for us to lose because we're in such a strong position. We're none down past them. If the weather comes in, we won because we went on first innings. And... We just kind of, or our words will be back all day tomorrow. We're going to bottom up. Like, there's only so much fight a team in that position is going to have being in October, already technically haven't lost the game, you know? And I don't think I ever paid as much freedom as I did in, did in that game because Cabal in that second innings, I bowled, a, I, I bowled all right. Like, I bowled, my first couple of spells were really nice. And then I think for playing into October, the lateness of the season, like my last day spell was awful, but that's. Is what it is. I still, again, I got to, luckily enough, got to take a winning wicket. You know, it was a horrible shot that shot up in the air and a hell of a good catch from Burgess. But um, yeah, like it was a strange, amazing game to be a part of, but a strange game to be a part of. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way of describing it. And it's obviously very difficult for us to get down to as fans as well. As yeah, a sort of like, the, I think the scheduling. Without going too much into it, that showed how much interest maybe the ECB had in that game, the way it was scheduled. Yeah. So my parents actually only managed to get there for an hour after we won. So goodness me. Well, they, they enjoyed their afternoon in the tavern, so it didn't matter. <laughs> and I suppose at the end of the day, got to lift the trophy. And again, that that's another yeah. pattern, isn't it? In terms of your Warwickshire career so far, Liam. Championship winning wicket, mm. Bob Willis trophy winning wickets, and then one more wicket that we have to talk about. And this probably will be the concluding segment of the yeah. podcast. And that is the 2022 season. I mean, this could be quite a long segment, to be honest, because <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to find another final day like that in a relegation hunt. It was something reminiscent of, you know, the mid-2010s championship in, in football. It was unbelievable. So in terms of that last game against Hampshire, first and foremost, what was the confidence like in that dressing room? Because I'm not sure if this would have been discussed, but we had not beaten Hampshire in first-class crickets for a decade. The last time we'd beaten them was 2010, right? <laughs> it'd been 12 years since we'd beaten the Rose and Crown of Hampshire. They had been in the title race. They'd gotten so close. Obviously, they had that disappointment against Kent, mm. who subsequently secured their status in Division 1. Yeah. What was the mood like heading into that game? Did you think that you could pull off the, the spectacular? Uh, I didn't know that stat. About, um, I don't think um, that's Martin known, but I had no idea about that stat. Um, the mood was surprisingly good. Uh, I hadn't been around for two weeks before the last 50 over game. I tore my elbow. Um, I technically wasn't fit for that last game, but I, me, the great medical team in Mozzie Moz, and um, Chrissy Cole, just we pushed it and we strapped it up. And in my words, it's doable on playing. Or, okay, my words were, I'm doable on available selection. And Mark Grimson words, right, you're playing. So I said to him, I'll do my best to be fit for that last game. Um, 
and they knew there was a risk that it might not work but we felt we had to take that risk at that time because of the situation and uh first two days it felt like everything was against us we barely played a ball the first day unbelievable work from gary and his ground staff to get the covers on and off and on and off and on and off uh day two is exactly the same like um just frustration and so t day two we had a team meeting well we knew how many bonus points yorkshire had and we knew we needed to get two past 250 to have enough to get to go one better than them or the end of thing we're two points ahead of them in the end so as soon as we we kind of took the kent result out of it because we were going so well so the conversation is pretty much led by will rhodes alex davis um and sibley and they said what are we happy to do are we happy to declare here for a caution to the wind and try and go and bowl them out best case scenario we bowl them out cheaply make a follow-on worst case scenario they back long but there's still enough time in the game for us to try and work something last day and everybody just said yeah let's do it let's i, I can't remember if we were already on 270 at that point or if we need to get past 250 but the decision was made as soon as we had enough points we were declaring to move the game forward because we lost so much and uh we declared end of end of the evening day two and had three and a bit overs at them and the light went um and again it just felt like we were meant to have eight overs there and it felt like everyone was against us the end of the you're at that end of the table because you deserve to be there there's no getting around that we weren't good enough this year in red bull cricket and yes we managed to survive yes we celebrated for a bit but it's not something to celebrate for the sprinting game we need to be at the other end of the table but everyone had complete clarity that we would do anything we could in that game to stay up um and to be fair the game against somerset and gloucester the lads the atmosphere in the group was very very good they had heads never dropped once the lads were really good and were really again basically happy to do whatever we had to do to try and stay up so the mood we can have been pretty good leading into this game which might sound silly from the outside looking where on the table but i think that just shows what the club means to the players, even the lads who have now unfortunately moved on, what it means, what it meant to them. And then we start day three, and unfortunately, James Vince plays a very good innings and gets them past us. And I think the big thing was the belief never went because we knew what we'd done the year before in a fairly similar position with a 20 run, 30 run deficit. You know, we knew we were never out of the game. Uh, and then, luckily, I bowled nicely. Um, I was a bit worried going into the game because I think you saw during the 50 over tournament when I haven't bowled for a little while, I can be a bit rusty. It takes me a few games. Like, probably took me, again, it's a different format. It probably took me four games, five games, so I was happy with how I was bowling. I think it was only the last three games in 50 over tournament I was happy with. But, um, so I was a bit worried going in, I'll be a bit rusty. But I think the occasion almost took that out of my head and I just ran in and bowled and got four wickets in the first innings, bowled nicely. Ollie bowled really well. Henry, uh, Henry's figures did not do him justice. He got three wickets and went for quite a few runs, but he bowled so much better than that. It just happened, I think, James Vince decided he was going to have a pop, not a pop at him, but he was a ball he was going to target. And yeah, like, the belief never went because, like I said, what we'd done the year before. And again, light kind of didn't help us that evening. We didn't get as many overs as we hoped in. But again, I, I probably should mention Yates. Again, another common theme, Yates is standing up when we need him. That innings, that innings in the first innings, when he struggled all year, pulled it out of the bag against that bowling attack. Jeez, it puts him in a good position. But then fast forward to end of day three, Yates gets a good one, but Sib stays in there 
and you knew how much it meant to Sibs being his last game for the club. And um, yeah, like we kind of go in. I can't remember how many ahead we were that evening, but we weren't many ahead. And the next morning, it was actually a fairly similar chat to the year before. You know, completely wrong end of the table, completely similar but different circumstances. We will do anything we can to win this game. We do enough right things. We will get, do enough. We will create enough chances, and we've just got to all believe. And everyone's got to be a hundred percent committed. And let's be honest, we messed with batting up. And I think it was the best thing we did because it took the draw out of it. And if we had, we wanted one eighty two hundred. If we had got that, I still think Hampshire would have gone for it. But then they had the option when we did blow away less, when we had the start we had, they could have shut up shop, you know. So although we messed up batting, is the best thing we did. And yeah, so I said earlier, I'll talk about. So last year in the last day of the season, I, my emotions got better. Me didn't bowl very well, and um, me, Ollie Hannon Dolby, and Henry Brooks are warming up, and Mark Robinson walks out and said, "Right, lads, you need to control your, your arousal levels." And I knew that was aimed at me from the year before. He definitely could have used the word emotion. He definitely could have used any other word, but he I'm pretty sure he used that word because he knew it was sticking in everyone's head. And Ollie's laughing to himself about arousal levels because he's a lovely bloke, but a bit of a big kid. And um yeah, uh I I know that was aimed at me, but he said it to everyone, so it wasn't obviously aimed at me. And I think Ollie sat at the tone of a beautiful first over. And that settled me down a bit. And as I was walking up to one first over, I just said to myself, what will be, will be. Leave everything out of the pitch and just do everything you can for the bear, you know? And that was, the rest, I guess, is history. <laughs> it most certainly is. Again, I don't think that does it justice. Nine for 62. It's one of the most remarkable displays in this club's history. And it's the first nine wicket all since since Wokesy's nine for thirty six yeah. against Durham a few years back as well. To perform like that on the final day of the season with your backs not just firmly pressed against the wall, they're almost going through the wall at that point. Warwickshire were all but down. Looking at one point, I think the win prediction was zero point zero five percent for Warwickshire County Cricket Club. Everybody had written us off, and then you go and pull that out of the baggins. In terms of that performance, Liam, I mean, obviously, I'm guessing you've been asked this before in terms of did it feel different on the day and all of all of those quite kind of questions. But the one question I wanted to ask about it was, at any point in that innings, did you feel like not giving up necessarily, but potentially taking a step back because you looked absolutely out on your feet at certain points in that particular innings? Yeah, um, I mean, I was, I was, I was cooked. Uh, almost a bit not delirious, but I had no, I had no match fitness. My fitness test to playing that game was ten overs in the nets in two spells of five. So normally it'd be a much more thorough fitness test, but because of the time and everything, that was what my fitness test was. Um, so I bet I bowled a little bit the week before, but not a huge amount, and I had no match fitness. But I guess it just shows what you can do when you just a have a captain who won't take you off, and b you just keep telling yourself you can do it, you know. Um, but I had a little break. I came off with three overs in the, before tea and then after tea I bowled without change. But after I got the Barker wickets when James Fuller um, and Gubbins were batting together and, and doubly annoying because I know James pretty well from my days at Gloucester and uh, you don't like being hit around by someone you know. But uh, 
I think I bowled an over to them, which went for about 15. And I was cooked. Like, I bowled two floaty half volleys. And there, and I said to Will, just take me off. I'm going to lose this game. It's not good enough. Like, that's crap over. It's floaty. It was using expletive. It's not good enough. I'm going to lose this game. I don't want to. I can't lose this game. I've, I, I can't do it. And I even started saying, it's not. So I'm talking about stupid crap. Like, oh, I'm not trying to protect my figures. I'm not trying to do this. I'm not trying that. I'm just trying to do the best for the team. And he said, well, the best of the team is you bowling. You're bowling. You'll be fine. And then Sid said, mate, you are fine. You'll be okay. You keep going with some other words and bits and pieces thrown in. And I I, I can't remember the exact words. It's a lot a lot happened that day. But they were the sentiments, maybe a few expletives in there. Um, and then I remember I bowled in the next over one to Gubbins, which kind of lifted and left him. And it beat the outside edge. And Sibs said, so I'm like, see, you are hitting the pitch well. Keep bowling. And... Um, yeah, like again, there's a moment down to fine leg, maybe an over later. Um, Gubbins and Fuller were still going, they needed about 16 at this point. And I'll, I was nearly, I'll be honest, I was nearly in tears. I've given so much to the game, I was just like, we've lost, we're going down. Doesn't matter what you've done, it means nothing. Like, I had six weeks, like, it means absolutely nothing. You're going to lose us this game, you're not good enough to keep us up. And funny enough, Ollie was having the same motions at the other end, you know, like. So it's funny the emotions you go through. Like, I went from being nearly in tears down there to then getting Jack ma- uh, Man- Joe to run me protein shakes and bananas because then I got myself going again. I was like, no, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Get food on board. Get food on board. So, in the space of one of all these overs, I think I had two protein shakes, a banana, an energy gel, and some other random thing the physio gave me. Don't throw it out my neck. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, like, again, I was cooked and. A bowling to Gubbins, a bowling over, ball to that over. I think they, and then Will said to me, I started to cramp a little bit, so I'm stretching. Um, and Will said to me, Should we just see if the ball needs, is, should we just ask him to look at the ball just to give you 10 seconds rest? We thought it would go through. And I said, Yeah, yeah, please do, please do. And it didn't go through. So, like, you can see, like, I've, I've never ever watched myself back, um, apart from when I'm trying to just, Re, refine form or remind myself what I do. I've never sat and watched back proper cricket before, but uh, my wife and my in-laws um, got me to sit down and watch just after tea with them. And you can see Will on the live stream, he is killing himself with laughter because it's not gone through. Like we've just done it as a punt just to buy me time to try and get me to um, rest up a little bit, get by me 10 seconds. Um, and then luck went our way. You know, we've got a good ball, Maybe it's the only dubious decision. I don't like it's hitting the stumps, but it's probably outside the line. Um, but I don't really care. <laughs> um, that's the attitude, yeah. Like, like, um, wicket's a av- wicket. Average, average, sometimes decisions go don't go your way, sometimes they go your way. Luckily, that one went my way, it was a massive wicket. Um, and actually, when I bowled, I thought it was out. Like I went up so big, I thought it was out. Only on replay, I realised it probably wasn't. But you take your luck, you earn your luck. We've had so many times you'll have a drop catch or an LBW is not given. When you get one that's more in your favour, you just accept it. And then Brad Will came in, James Fuller's there. Like I said, I've known James Fuller for a long time and hit me for four and I was just like, F you, James. Screw you, James. And he's just laughing at me. And my head's gone. <laughs> and then, um, 
yeah, Ollie Bowles really good over. Then he, what is it, six or whatever it is. And I just said to Will, I've started over. Well, either they're winning or we're winning. So we're going to win this. And um, yeah, probably the best ball of Boulder winnings for one to James. Came back in off the scene real nicely and not from top of the middle stump out. And this is why I hate watching myself back because it cringes me, my celebration there. You know, a bit of it is really? Yeah, cringes me. Because uh, I, I know I go quite hard at James and a bit of it is because we've gone at each other, a bit of it because he gave me a send-off, a bit because we know each other and a bit, a lot because of the actual significance of that wicket, you know? Um, and so that's what, I, it just cringes me out watching that and like I'd actually kept my emotions pretty much intact about too many big celebrations or anything throughout that apart from the James Vince wicket which is luckily off camera um you know uh so yeah so that that's why I don't like watching cricket back because yeah I, I get a bit cringed out but uh then yeah it's a bit of a blur there two balls to be honest with you I know first ball is an unbelievable stop for me from Brooks that could easily be four it's squirted off an outside edge like Ethan filled all their subfielder for Sam Hain and yeah, uh, unbelievable stop. And then Campman with the next ball, one pops into the leg side a bit, stops the single, and then yeah, like a bass shovels across, it hits on the pad. And like Ollie said to me, unbelievable. Like, I know obviously Richard Kepper is assessing everything and making sure it is out, it's dead, it's completely dead. But the dramatic, how long he takes and everything. It's like proper cinema, like dramatic, building the tension. And yeah, like just mobbed, you know? Um, and then you can see how much it meant to even people like Sibs who are leaving. Um, like Sibs pushes away for everyone, and gives me a massive hug and goes mad. And it just meant so much to everyone. Like we want to play Division One cricket. We, it's why I joined the club. I want to play Division One cricket, you know? Like I said, we deserve to be in that position. We deserve to be at that end of the table. We have not played good enough cricket this year and we've got a long, hard winter ahead of us to make sure we are back at the right end. And no one is kidding themselves about that, you know? Everyone knows what we've got to do to be back at the right end of the table next year. It's it's going to be a hard winter ahead and a lot of lessons. And we've got a big team debrief in a few weeks about it. And there's going to be some honest lesson, uh, honest conversations and honest truth spoken there. But... um relief in those moments were unbelievable and like Ollie Hanandoli I know he's got credit for it but he just hasn't had anyone near enough credit for that day to go two and over hold it tight and I because I, I only went threes but like I said I had a few expensive overs and that could be easily have tipped it their way but then Ollie when I had an expensive over bowls are made and goes for one you know like he was unbelievable yeah Ollie and he deserved those wickets but I'm just thankful we stayed up you know it means so much to the club and our like like it means so much to yourself our members and our supporters like it means so much to them and that's that's the biggest thing is making our members want us to be in division one and we want to be in division one and we are and like I said it's a long hard winter ahead but we need we will make a better start of it next year we most certainly will, and that's the attitude that we've got to go into next season with. But honestly, that last day, absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. And nine for 62, I'm going to keep on hammering that home. Because <laughs> how on earth do you pull that out on the final day of the season against a team you haven't beaten for a decade? <laughs> that day, well, that game as a whole was already rain-affected. 0.05% chance of winning, and then you're going to pull out nine for 62. 
I could well, keep on repeating that all night, to be yeah. honest. It's like everything went against us those first three days, and then everything went for us that day. Like I said, we had mm. a decision that helped us in Gubbins. We, with Donald, who started, came up real aggressive, Will moves Bethel the ball before, and he hits it straight at Bethel. Um, we had two or three unbelievably good bits of fielding, stop singles or dives, and that just cuts down those ones and twos and keeps us with runs to play with, you know? Everything that could have gone our way did go our way that day. You know, and apart, and like I said, we messed up the batting, but it actually ended up helping us. So you can even say that went our way. We didn't plan it to go like that, but it took the draw out and it meant there's going to be a result. And uh, it's a day that will live me forever, a day that will, will stay with the lads for quite a while, but it'll be when we're back on the 7th of November. Um, that day will be good done, you know. There's no more talking about, in my opinion, there'll be no more talking about that day. There'll be no more talking about, oh, we say that great, great. It'll be, we nearly got relegated. We finished eighth. We are better than that. How are we going to get better next year? And where are we going to go from here? And then hopefully everyone will be focused and off we go. Absolutely. And I love that attitude, Liam. I really do. That makes me smile as a Warwickshire fan. That's exactly what we're looking for in our Bears players and yeah we kind of owe you a, a stature or a stand to be honest after these past couple of seasons winning the championship for us Bob Willis trophy winning wicket then obviously pulling off the great escape is there anything else you can't do for this club or is, <laughs> you're going to score a century to win us something that'd be nice um, it would, it would uh, be lovely as long as we're back at right end of the table I, I'm happy for anyone to take a winning wicket and score a winning run as long as we're at right end of the table you know um so yeah, uh, maybe play a bit more white ball cricket would be nice for me and maybe improve myself in white ball cricket. But yeah, I'm I'm happy for anyone to take winning wickets or winning runs with Warwickshire as long as we're winning. I'll echo those sentiments until the cows come home. Obviously, we want more trophies as, as Warwickshire fans as well. And Liam, before we end what's been a titanic episode of the podcast, Jeez, I apologise. No, sorry. I know, I, I, I said an hour. <laughs> Because I talk too much, don't worry. We talk about Warwickshire. You get two badges together and all of a sudden it's a lot of time. But <laughs> such is life. It's been a fantastic episode. Loved every single second of it. But the final question I wanted to ask, and this kind of relates to the Ali Martin piece. It relates to things that you've reiterated in tonight's podcast. And that is the meaning of Warwickshire County Cricket Club to you as a cricketer and as a person. Because in that piece before, you mentioned about the likes of Dom Sibley, Oliver Hannah yeah. Dorby, two guys who had come from different counties. Sibley came from Surrey, OHD came from Yorkshire. And yet they've embodied the Bay and Ragged staff, outstanding servants for our club over the years, right? And we're very sad to see Sibley go. But we've got the owl, fortunately, for at least another couple of seasons. But for you coming, not as an outsider, but from a different county, so initially Cornwall, then Gloucestershire, and then Warwickshire, what does the bare and ragged staff mean to Liam Norwell? A lot. Um, so, without going too much into it, so my town, Red Roof, everything's full of a lamb. So as soon as I went, went to Warwickshire and everything's full of a bear, that kind of, there's a home homeliness to it. So I've always been used to, I know it sounds good, always been used to playing for an animal and Red Roof, everything's full of a lamb, at Warwickshire, everything's full of a bear. So that kind of rang true to me. Um, but it's, the bear, like I think, one thing that really helps the club mean a lot to you is the capping system where you get blue bear, yellow bear, white bear. Because you're always working towards something, and when you get a white bear, 
So if you won there, Will, you know, um, it, you know you've done something worthwhile for this club and you're going to be remembered. You've done, you've left the cap, the bear in a better place for, to say. But I, I can't put my finger on it, but it's just something playing for the bear is special. And playing for Gloucester was special. Don't get me wrong. It was unbelievably special. But something about playing for the bear just pulls at your heartstrings a bit, you know? And it might be because I'm from a town where you play for the lamb. So I'm used to it, but it just, I don't know. It's hard to say, but you, like I said, you see it with Sibley in his last of the game, his emotions, he was as, he was as overjoyed as anyone that we stayed up, you know? Um, like we've got quite a few, there's, we have got quite a few lads from other counties who've come to join this club and everybody just buys in. And for me, the biggest thing that made me buy in was when I was, first joined I did a tour of the ground with um two of the I, I joined a public tour of the ground it was something Jim used Jim Chatton used to get you to do and then the emotion and the passion they spoke to, to you about with as tour guides really got to you and got you going for the club and then Keith Cook who embodies Warwickshire County Cricket Club he put together this video package about like the first player the last player and he does the backing words to him it's genuinely emotional stuff and I think it's just little things like that, as well as like the exclusiveness of the bear, like you said about Oli Dolby stat. You know, so few people have got to wear this cap, and it's just a privilege. Like it's a privilege to play for any professional team. Like I said, it was a priv it, it was a massive privilege, and will always be a privilege that I got to play for Gloucestershire. And it is a complete privilege to get to put on the bear and ragged staff and. As long as I get to do it, I'll give it everything. And I think it's just something about the bear that makes you want to do that, you know? I do know, Liam, because <laughs> it means the exact same thing to me. It means the absolute world. I mean, as I said, I was, I was born in Warwick. You go into Warwick and you can see the actual bear in mm. Warwick Museum with the ragged staff. You go to the West Gates and it's got the emblem all over it. We've got bear-themed Christmas lights. It's an icon of this county. It's part and parcel of the heritage and it's part and parcel of our regional identity as well. And for you to articulate it so brilliantly like that, honestly, mate, that has just made my day. It really has. So thank you for absolutely everything you've done for this club. The championship, the Bob Willis trophy, keeping us up this season. And in terms of the cap, I think that's coming sooner rather than later. I, I genuinely don't think you're going to be waiting long for that at all. To be honest, Liam, I think that's a matter of time before that cap turns yeah. from yellow to white. There's been very good players who never got one, so and much better players than me who never got one. So you never know. I'd love to get one, and I'll keep working towards getting one. But you never know. Well, I think I do. I think it's coming sooner rather than later. To be honest, I would be absolutely shocked if that bear is not white heading into the 2023 season. But Liam Norwell, that does bring us to an end to what has been a mammoth episode <laughs> of the County Cricket Podcast, episode 200. It was always going to be a special episode because of the milestone. And fortunately, it's become an even more special episode. I've loved every single minute of this. I really have. It's been an absolute pleasure. And Liam, before we say our final goodbyes for the recording, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses? You don't want to follow on me on social media. I'm quite boring. It's a lot about <laughs> my family and kids. But um, no, no, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you.
My pleasure, Liam. And of course, you're always welcome back here at the Counter Cricket Podcast at some point in the future, maybe for a slightly shorter episode (laughs) for the sake of your family. (laughs) But uh, that is it from us two here at TCCP for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we will see you on the next one.